different designers and different architects work in different ways. So, you know, for some people that line is in a slightly different spot. Hi, I'm Beth Beeske, the founder of More Time to Design and your host of the Design Dialogues podcast. I've been a designer for the last 12 years and I've run my own studio for five. And I know how hard it is to run a successful business. You not only need to be great at designing, but you need to be great at all the other things as well. I created More Time to Design, a software platform to help designers run efficient studios. And I've created the Design Dialogue podcast to help us all learn together. Each week, we will meet professionals who are at the top of their game doing things that help us run our studios. We'll have conversations with social media managers, interior design mentors, copywriters, stylists, photographers, suppliers, and also designers who have been in the game for a long time and who have such a wealth of knowledge to share. I hope that each week you feel inspired and informed at the end of each of our design dialogues. So join me for the Design Dialogue podcast. Welcome to episode 12 of the Design Dialogues podcast. This week, I'm talking with architect Jennifer Crawford from Our New Home Coach. Before we get to the dialogue though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what has been happening at More Time to Design. We have just released some new features on More Time to Design, more advanced schedule tools, increased capability with our supplier list and more connectivity across the platform. If you are not quite ready yet to sign up for a free 30-day trial, but would like to see how the platform can help you build a better business, make sure to book into a product demonstration where myself and the team will show you all the features of More Time to Design. I will pop a link in the show notes for how to book a demo. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, I would love for you to leave a review. Reviews are one of the best ways for people to find the podcast. If you are unsure of how to leave a review, I will put in the show notes some simple instructions to follow. I really do appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. This week on the podcast, we are meeting Jennifer Crawford. Jennifer is an architect with many years of varied experience, from working with volume builders to finding her love for residential design and helping people build better homes. I talked to Jennifer about the junction between architecture and interior design and how the two professions can work well together. I hope you enjoy this design dialogue. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of the Design Dialogues podcast and today we are meeting architect Jennifer Crawford from Our New Home Coach. Hi Jennifer. Hi Beth. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, it's lovely to be here. So I love to start by asking everyone, what can you see out your window today? Oh, yes. Well, out my window, where my office is, is on um, Darling Street, Balmain, which is like the main street of Balmain. So um, I can kind of see um, everyone walking up and down the street and a few old um, heritage buildings and it's beautiful sunshine and... Perfect. Yeah, beautiful outlook. It would be kind of like a moving picture all the time. Yeah, so we where our office is, I, I um, rent a desk in another interior designer's office. Yeah, and um, she's done a beautiful job here. So, so one side we've got the the Darling Street um, sort of promenade, I guess, and then the other side you can see the Harbour Bridge and you know this 
the city sort of skyline. So Perfect. yeah, so it's a great space to work in. Yeah, yeah, very um, very inspiring space to work in. I mentioned. Um, so tell me a little bit about your business and where you've gotten to where you are today. I know you have a couple of different kind of things that you work with with people, um, and interior designers. So I'd love to kind of know how did you end up where you are today. Okay, so yes, I'm a registered architect and have been registered for oh a very long time now <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my background is I've worked in um, a few different architectural practices but also for large construction companies and developers and small construction companies and um, home building companies and things like that so I've worked in a variety of uh, different types of projects but uh, always my preferred focus I think is residential work I kind of um get it and yeah. I kind of <laughs> um sort of feel it in my person yeah. you know um and as in the uh, the role that I had for the um large community developer um my role there was as um design coordinator so what that meant is that I approved everyone had to submit their house plans yeah um to me for approval before they went to council yeah wow so i saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of house plans in that role from all different sort of volume builders mainly volume builders yeah and i could um suggest things whether they would um be incorporated or not is another yeah. story <laughs> But um, I was responsible for the design guidelines there and, and developing the design guidelines and enforcing the design guidelines, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would see a lot of the people who were buying those, those houses and building those houses and they, I would have lots of conversations with them about um, how to, to meet our guidelines and mm -hmm. um, how they could actually improve their houses yeah and I thought um back then I I thought well uh, quite a few people need a lot of just small amounts of architectural advice they don't necessarily need me to design their house for them yes um but just giving them a little bit of um assistance and also talking about their their kind of wants and needs I guess um can go a, a long way into helping them make the right decisions yeah because so, I imagine so often that like people hear architect and they just go no I don't it's too big I don't it's too much money like I just don't need that where and I imagine you must have seen some real doozies of plans in that mm -hmm. role and you're kind of like oh my goodness just a few little tweaks and it would make mm -hmm. such a world of difference kind of thing so I imagine there must be so many people who are like that who just need that small amount of guidance and advice that mm -hmm. would make such a difference to their home yeah absolutely and to to talk through they might be building with a a volume builder as as many people do and and you know that that's fine but there's there's a few things like you know whether you place a window here or here or or whether the whole house is is placed this way on a block or or you know through 90 degrees or whatever makes a huge difference 
and you know whether there's a an extra door you can you can add or you know something you can open up like this there's, there's lots of little um bits and pieces that can really make a difference and also um talking to people about what their actual needs are yeah. um so that they can get some clarity rather than they're just buying this thing because they think that's what they should buy you know yeah yeah it's like, do we really need this? You know, how is our family growing or how's our family, you know, people at the other end, once their, their family's kind of grown, you know, how's it, how's it sort of, if kids are, are leaving or going to uni or, or something like that, how's their life changing there? So there's, there's a few different um, life stages and, and tweaks yeah. that can happen. So true, isn't it? Like you quite often you have, I mean, I've seen it with my clients and I'm sure, you know, there's crossover here between interior design and interior designers and architects. You have a client that comes with you with kind of this like wish list of things mm-hmm. and you kind of go, well, if we're going to build all of this and fit all this in, you're going to need like a massive house and it's going to cost a massive amount of money. But then when you mm-hmm. actually kind of challenge them a little bit and ask them, mm-hmm well, why do you need three living spaces and why does everyone need, you know, their own study and all that kind of stuff? And you kind of, like, you actually drill down to why they need that. So often they're like, I don't know, just because. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So so I get into a lot of uh, questions about how people actually live in the house like yeah. you know and since COVID there's a lot yeah. of um working from home and all that sort of stuff and so it's really changed how people use their homes yeah. um and sometimes it's like in the the working from home scenario like pre-COVID people may have done that like one or two days a week at, yeah. if at all and now they might have two people working full-time at home mm. or they might have you know, combination of working from home and, and going out. And and sometimes it's it depends on the work too. Like some people need a, a separate room that, that's private um, in order to do their work. Other people, it may not be that they need, you know, a separate room and it might be that it's a joinery solution, you know, a really nice um, sort of built-in desk that can close up at the end of the day, that sort of thing. And that can really work for them. So, and, and where that's located in the house might, might mean that, you know, one room might perform like two or three jobs and be a really hard working room, you know, at different times of the day. Yeah. And when different people are in, in the house, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I like so many questions out of that and I'm going to try and make them succinct. So one is around, um, like working with a volume builder. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't done a lot of this work myself, but I know some designers come in and they might be working with people kind of they've either at that stage of kind of commissioning a home with a volume builder and, you know, their Mm -hmm. kind of floor plans are quite restrictive and, um, you know, there's limitations to what you can do. And obviously this is how long is a piece of string. But if there were Mm -hmm. kind of like two or three things that you would say, 
maybe the most common things that you saw that were able to be changed or that you would like, oh, there's like these plans really, if you could just tweak that one thing, it makes such a difference. Or as you mentioned, like orientation on the block or something like that. Like if a designer is meeting with a client or working with a client that's working with a volume builder, what are maybe those top two or three things that you would say to look out for um, in the plans that kind of they could change or suggest to change that would make a big difference to the finished product? Yeah, it does depend on the builder, on yeah. the volume builder, because some are more flexible than others. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, there's like there's no changes whatsoever. Yeah. And then you're kind of, you're kind of stuck, right? But, and you've got to make sure you're picking the right one because you, you can't change it. Um, in other cases, there's builders that say, yeah, we can, we can change this, change that, change the other. Um, one of the things that I was always um, talking to people about, and I still think there's potential for this, is there's, there's kind of this, in Australia, we have this sort of obsession for open plan living. Yes. Um, now, there's times when that works, and yep. there's other times when um, not so much, especially yep. in large, like two story houses, and the amount of heating and cooling that's required for, you know, a big open plan house like that can be huge. Um, so, whether there's an opportunity to place um, a doors or you know even like really pretty you know glass doors and things in yeah. in corridors and places like that just to break up the the house into sort of smaller zones mm -hmm. so that so that those heating and cooling areas you know you, depending on how you live in the house and, and where it's occupied and blah 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 you might be able to reduce the amount of heating and cooling that you use yeah. Um. To to live in those in those particular spots, so that there's things like that. You know, putting the odd um door or you know feature door or, or yeah. things like that in a in a corridor and and things like that. Others are just um possibly relocating um windows if there's a you know depending on the orientation of the block, maybe there's a chance to to move a window from from one elevation across to yeah. the other. Yeah. or reduce it or expand it or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, those sorts of things. And then um, you can often play with, with you know, kitchens and, and kitchen cabinetry and, and butler's pantries and all those sorts of things. But that's a, that's a little bit of a how long is a piece of string. Yeah. Um, but I suppose there. as well, how like. It... You want to push it. Yeah, and I suppose these questions, um, like a little bit comes down to what you were talking about, about really actually finding out how they live. Like, mm -hmm. you know, we do get, I mean, we see so many open plan homes now. Um, mm -hmm. And I do sometimes think that there are a few people that are kind of like challenging that a little bit now because mm -hmm. um I think if you've lived in an open plan home, you kind of realise it's not all it's cracked up to be <laughs> on multiple mm -hmm. reasons, especially if you've got like a family and there's multiple rooms doing multiple things and it's, you know, it can be, it can, they can be very challenging to live in. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I suppose it does come down to really challenging them and finding out what, 
how do they live and what do they want out of their you know you know their um their home um yeah that's awesome and then the other thing that I wanted to kind of come back to was around how you have found um clients pre and post COVID so obviously the working from home thing is a big thing and you know more and more people are needing studies and more dedicated Mm -hmm. workspaces um are you finding that that trend is continually continuing or do you think that people are kind of not so much now they're kind of maybe moving back to what it was like pre-COVID or do you think that this needing kind of studies and or dedicated studies is here to stay? It's really it's kind of interesting because if we go back say like I don't know even 10 years 15 years maybe um studies were like definitely a thing yeah like the home office thing because people had you know back then more desktop computers and they needed like a dedicated space yeah and then in a few years like everyone got you know laptops and ipads and phones and all this sort of stuff and so this the study and also like you know back in the day people had printers and yeah you know, all this sort of stuff right <laughs> yeah and all of that kind of changed and then there was a question well like do you really need this study anymore yeah. because everyone's got a mobile yeah. device whether it's a laptop or an ipad or whatever and they can sit at the kitchen bench and they can do whatever and you know there's no not such a need for printing anymore and yeah. you know all those things so maybe this and then the study sort of fell away a bit yeah. And then like COVID happened. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it came roaring back yeah. in a in a big way because all of a sudden people were like not just casually working on the kitchen bench anymore. Yeah. But they were like doing their job at yeah. home. And so and you know, all the, the zooms and, and all that sort of stuff. So all of a sudden they needed a dedicated space again that could be quiet and where they could um, have those conversations and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think there's, there's, I think there's always going to be room for that sort of space. Yeah. Whether, whether it's a dedicated room and that's the only job of that room, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Because I think, you know, in, in some people's houses, they, they like to have a guest room for visitors because they might have family that come and stay with them. Yeah. You know, in a, semi-regular basis whether there's a study that can also work as that guest room um and and do those two jobs or whether there's an area that's at the end of you know say a dining room or a living room or something that has a really nice joinery in it and that's where the the workspace is and and that happens you know during the day but then when kids come home from school and everyone's you know there for for dinner or whatever maybe that gets closed away and that's just you know a nice genre in at the end of the room yeah um because especially because i'm in the inner west of sydney yeah and a lot of houses here are you know quite small so uh people don't necessarily have huge amounts of of space for these things so it's trying to get rooms to work harder yeah do multiple jobs um not necessarily at the same time but you know different times of day different times of year whatever they those rooms can do can fill all sorts of different roles yeah and I suppose like I mean that 
comes down to as well, you know, for like, you know, interior designers, that's something to really be thinking about, especially when you're maybe designing your joinery in your bedrooms. Um, like, can you arrange the joinery in a way that um, maybe kind of future-proofing the room? So possibly if they're being designed for a small child, can you future-proof the joinery so there's possibly can be a desk included in the joinery? Um, and as you said, like at the end of a kitchen or something like that, like I think... Mm -hmm. um, in, if interior design, if you can be smart about your joinery design, like it, it's a really great way to add value to the client experience, but also to the home because, mm -hmm. you know, especially, you know, in our inner city areas, these rooms do need to work really, really hard. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think being clever and smart about the way you design your joinery can really, you know, turn what is just a wardrobe into a study and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, for example, I had one um, client or some clients in Leichhardt and yeah. they were just doing a, they had an existing, you know, two-bedroom um, bungalow. Yeah. And we basically ripped off the, the back and did a new half a level down, half a level up. Yeah. Living, dining, kitchen downstairs, new bathroom, bedroom and bathroom upstairs. But what we were able to do was with um, the half a level upstairs and a slight little landing there was actually add a joinery unit in there that ended up becoming like effectively the study. Yeah. Even though it's in a sort of wider corridor space. So on one yeah. side there's a day bed, on the other side there's this joinery unit. So two people can sit next yeah. to each other and work, um, but it's not necessarily a dedicated room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that meant that all the other dedicated rooms because these clients were tossing up whether they wanted it to be um yeah whether they wanted to have the four bedrooms or the three bedrooms and yeah. the, the four bedrooms once you pushed it to the four bedrooms it made everything just a little bit tight yeah, yeah. but if you took out that um then their you know their main bedroom was is very generous and bathrooms are generous so so everything has more of a generosity of of size and scale yeah. But their their study is effectively in this um, sort of widened corridor kind of yeah hallway landing type yeah. thing with a skylight over. So it has um, it's actually it has a nice feel to it. And yeah. and the when the clients were working from home, they felt like they could still do work because it was quiet enough, but they yeah. still felt connected to the rest of the house because they yeah. still had young kids and so wanted to yeah. keep an eye and an ear out for them I think that's a really clever thing like I think designers when you're looking at plans like kind of look at what is a maybe a dead space or you know kind mm -hmm. of and what can you value add to that space to kind mm -hmm. of as you say like if you don't have to if you can accommodate that study in a, a passageway you can make your bedroom slightly bigger and everything feel mm -hmm. you know there's nothing better than a slightly like you as you said, like it's just a bit more generous and it just feels really lovely kind of thing. That's really helpful. I think that's so, um, I think, yeah, just those few little things can really change a home kind of thing. So that's that's mm. awesome to hear. Um, so one of the things that um, like we were talking just before we started, like I, my background is coming from offices, like multidisciplinary offices. I've worked alongside architects kind of thing. Um, but some people who are listening to this might 
be just starting out or they might never have worked with in an office that has an architect. And, and I really believe that kind of, you know, your business is as strong as the person who you know is in your phone book. You can pick up and ask a question to when you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, like, what would be your advice to maybe newish designers or um, people who are just starting out their businesses about creating that connection and relationship with an architect? Um, is it best to kind of find someone in their area like, or someone who does a similar style? Like what would be your kind of top tips for creating that relationship, that working relationship with an architect? Yeah, I think a lot of that is to do with, um, yeah, networking and yeah. finding people. And if there's um, events and things that are on, I mean, we've, that was a bit tricky during the COVID <laughs> times, but yeah. events events are back, yes, you know, back yeah. on now, and so you'll often have um, sort of trade type shows and things yeah. like that, where a lot of the manufacturers and people will have um, shows, and and you can get to meet a lot of people in those sorts of um, events. Yeah. So whether it's um, yeah, someone who's who's local to you. It it depends on on how you how you work. Yeah. Like if you need if you need someone local and just want to sort of pop around and and have a chat, or if you need someone who who works on the same style as you mentioned, the same style of project. Yeah. Um, then that can be uh, good too. I think there's there's an opportunity for. Um, architects and interior designers to work uh even more closely yeah um, together yeah because it is a it is a slightly different skill set um, yeah between the two yeah and i i have you know quite a few interior designer um friends and i'm involved in some interior designer groups you know facebook groups and things like that and i find that um the, the combination of the two goes really well together because a lot of stuff that interior designers are really focused on architects aren't too fussed about yeah I don't want that to sound rude but no you know things like you know the furniture and the cushions and the and the artwork and whatever from an architect's point of view you go well you can choose whatever you like you know yeah. I really don't I really don't mind um, and then you get into stuff where there's a bit of overlap, like, you know, floor finishes and tiling and, you know, um, joinery finishes and that sort of thing. But I would still often um, talk to a designer about about those sorts of things because, you know, I have a few sort of designer friends that, like, know everything there is to know about tiles, for example. Yeah. Know far yeah. more about tiles than me or know far more about paint colours than me yeah. or yeah. that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, for me, the thing is about the, you know, it might be the window locations or the, or the, you know, the, how it, the house sits on the block and how it's relative to the, to the site boundaries and the, and all the, you know, the, the council controls. And yeah. I imagine that sort of stuff, interior designers, their eyes glaze over. It's like, don't care. It is a little bit you like, know? I must do. So I have an architect that um, we've worked on a couple of projects with and she's delightful and I, her whole team is mm. just a delight to work with. Um, 
And the first project we worked on, there was kind of this little dance where it was kind of like, so where is the line that like, mm -hmm. where is that line? And um, between what she was interested in and what I was interested in, but yet um, it was very much her project um, to start with. It was very much her project kind of thing. And it is a bit of a dance because it's not like a blanket rule that all architects aren't interested in mm -hmm. tiles. Like some are going to be yeah. really passionate about it and want to do the mm -hmm. whole thing mm -hmm. where other people are like, you've picked a gray tile for the wall, right? Done. Let's move on kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I find that really interesting, that dance when you first start working with, like you start building a working relationship with an architect, it might mm -hmm. take you a little bit of time to find out, okay, exactly where do they stop they stop and I start and yeah. I remember um one site meeting and that was when I realized where the line was where they would like her and the builder were talking about something so technical about some obscure little detail that I was like and they were like Beth do you have an opinion and I'm like nope all good <laughs> can't really follow what you're talking about I'm thinking it's some geo like I don't even know what it was and I was just like that's the line that's the line I yeah. don't need to know about that <laughs> mm -hmm. and Absolutely. then in the reverse um like a couple of weeks later I was on site we were talking to the builder about some lighting placement and like it was you know it was kind of some feature pendants and all and wall lights and all this kind of stuff and um we turned to the architect she's like whatever don't care and yeah, don't okay, care. we found our line we found where we like and it was just I think it can be such a like the relationship with I mean I mean it's the holy trinity isn't it if you get an awesome builder and an awesome architect mm -hmm. and an awesome interior mm -hmm. designer and you know maybe throw in a mm -hmm. great landscape architect designer as well but once you work out that working relationship and you work out where everyone like what's the sweet spots for everyone it's mm -hmm. a great like it's a great working relationship but it can take a little bit of time to work out well where is yeah. it boundaries <laughs> yeah absolutely and different you know different designers and different architects work yeah. in different ways so yeah. you know for some people that line is in a slightly different spot yeah exactly uh, but yeah I mean I doubt you want to talk too much about waterproofing um and things no, like it that needs to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's there's things like waterproofing details and whatever that or you know insulation or yeah. whatever you know all those all those things that and it's interesting like up. like I always find it interesting on site like I kind of um, I kind of I think I have a, a curiosity about all of that kind of stuff and I know mm -hmm. that knowing it helps me be a better designer but in terms of making sure it's done properly or specifying it or all of that mm -hmm. kind of stuff I'm not that interested yeah. no <laughs> so fair enough, kind of fair like, enough. I like to know but I also like to know that if I have a mm -hmm. question I can ask them yeah. So yeah, it, yeah, 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 it is. It's that working relationship that's. I think it can be. It can be gold, kind of, once you work at it and kind of work out absolutely the right mix, kind of thing. Um, and I suppose as well, it also helps. Um, actually, well, that leads to my next question about when a client comes to an interior designer and the interior designer is kind of starting to approach the line where they're like, "This is a bit beyond what I can do." 
But at the same time, it's not that full jump to a full scope for mm-hmm. an architect. Mm-hmm. How do you think the best way for the interior designer to kind of, what's the best way for the interior designer to bring the architect into the project without mm-hmm. the architect? Because I have I have seen this happen where the architect kind of then kind of swoops in and takes over and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, like mm-hmm. the, that, that balance is a bit off then. Mm-hmm. When you're when you've got interior designers who need to bring architects on, because quite mm-hmm. often it's the other way around. The client goes to the architect first and then they yeah. bring the interior design on. And that's yeah. kind of like, kind of works that hierarchy. When it's mm-hmm. the reverse, how do you see that working well and how do you see it working badly? Uh, well, I'll answer badly first. <laughs> it's kind of easy. Yeah. Badly is when like ego gets in the way and, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, we don't need that person because I can do it all for you. Yeah. Um, and like that's that's badly. Yeah. Um, but I think where it, where it works well, and um, we've got a job like this at the moment where um, I'm working with an interior designer, and it really is her project because she has been working with the clients on previous projects for a couple of years. So they're there's definitely an established relationship there and um, she's doing amazing work um, on this latest project, but she just needs um, some additional help in terms of approvals and stuff because the the things that the client wants to do has tipped the project from being exempt development to being complying development. Yeah. And so all of a sudden there's, there's, um, you know, there's other people in play, there's engineers involved, there's, you know, there's certifiers involved, there's, you know, and there's getting a whole heap of documents together for that um, approval that may be sort of outside the, the standard scope of this um, designer. So that's why she's kind of got me on board to, to help out, um, yeah, in getting those approvals and things happening. Yeah. And so I suppose it's really, I mean, I mean, like so many things, it comes down to communication, but mm-hmm. um, I suppose it's as well, like communication between the designer and architect, but then also communication between the, 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 in, the designer and the client about mm-hmm. where possibly their limitations is. I think there's nothing wrong with saying to a client, this is beyond what I can do. Um, mm-hmm. and bringing in my colleague who I've worked with and I've got a relationship mm-hmm. with um, mm-hmm. to help us get this, you know, this next bit over the line. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose it just comes down to that communication as long as it's clear. We know, all know who is, like, who is running the project, who's reporting, yep. who, like, is the architect going to deal straight with the client or is mm-hmm. it all going to go through the interior designer? Like, mm-hmm. working out that communication and that workflow if everyone's clear about what's happening from the start then in theory it should run smoothly yeah absolutely and it's it's kind of defining um and in this like in this particular project the clients are really clear on on what they want to do and that's great yeah and um that kind of sets the parameters for for everyone else so yeah I'm more than happy to play a support role in in that one because I think it like it'll it'll just be an amazing project once it's done. So yeah, I'll do whatever I can to help get and it. And is there. that 
something that you do a lot of, like come in as that support role to an interior designer? Um, to be honest, uh, it's relatively new yep. to me <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, I kind of, you know, up to this point, I've just been dealing mainly with the, the clients and discussions yeah. about their projects and all the rest. But um, as I mentioned right at the beginning, I'm currently, you know, working in a, an office, an interior designer's office. Yeah. So being in that in, in environment, there's the occasional question that, <laughs> that comes, you know, oh, yeah. what about this or what about that? And I'm more than than happy to answer those because it's, you know, it's, part of the vibe I guess um but once once I got thinking about that I thought well maybe maybe there's more interior designers that actually need that little bit of help you know and it's it's not that they you know need a whole new project designed or building designed yeah. or whatever that they've kind of got that under control but they need just need a little bit of assistance um to get it to where it needs to be yeah. and so I thought well, why why don't I offer that as a service as well <laughs> yeah I so, mean I think that's yeah. awesome yeah I mean it's such a so as you I've, said like it's that tipping point isn't it where it's like it's not a full design pack it's not a full scope of works but it's just it's guidance and um, yeah yeah so I've just added that to to my website actually as you know a little section for interior designers and yeah and yeah um happy to happy to work with them and yeah and tell me a little bit about that process so um in terms of uh is it purely advice is it actual documentation is it you know um all the way through to consultants because I think that's something that like I know from my experience um some stuff with like council I'm okay with when we start moving into the world of consultants and, you know, needing engineering and all that kind of stuff. And I suppose this actually loops back around to where we were talking about that relationship between a designer and architect, like how successful your business is, is the relationships you have. So if you're not doing a lot of council work, you might not have, you know, a surveyor, structural engineer, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. stormwater person, in your list of people you can call easily. Um, mm -hmm. And so is that part of, I suppose, like the service that you offer that you coordinate that level of information for them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I have people like certifiers and, um, yeah, structural engineers, hydraulic engineers, those, yeah. those sorts of, even, you know, landscape people, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I'm to have all the conversations with those or coordinate um, those people but also coordinate their work with the um, with the sort of project documentation now um, whether designers need me to do drawings for them sometimes um, but not always yeah and um, yeah so I kind of adapt that to to suit because often um designers have their own sort of people to do drawings and you know to keep it kind of I guess clean um 
it's you know if there's if there's all sorts of drawing packs already happening well let's just keep with those and yeah. maybe I can add a few comments or or you know add where there's notes or or things like that that can um get those drawings to where they need to be and one thing that um I suppose this is my own personal experience so mm -hmm. I find it's quite often there's like, I mean, like a lot of industries, there's a lot of lingo in our industry mm -hmm. kind of thing. And there's interior design lingo. And then there's a whole other world of architecture lingo, which mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like, oh God, like, can you just explain that to me? Um, and I must admit, like when it gets to the point of going, okay, I need to talk to a consultant and I'm like, which consultant am I needing to talk to? Like, how do I ask them what I actually need to ask them without sounding silly? What would be your kind of, um, how have you seen that work well from an interior designer? Like, have you observed an interior designer that does that well where they're like, okay, the information, it might not be, my drawings might not be, they might be very different from how an architect might present them. Um, you know, generally, you know, an, a designer might be doing not a complete set pack of drawings, especially in a project where maybe it's crept away, like it wasn't initially a point where it was going to need to go to council, but, you know, the scope has creeped or things have changed mm -hmm. and you need to now mm -hmm. go to council. Mm -hmm. um, how have you seen designers handle that well, like the approaching to the consultants that might really be outside of their, you know, scope of normal people they deal with and all that kind of stuff like does it come back to once again just the communication having it all presented like don't worry if you don't know all the right words just kind of if you have that if you can communicate it in a way that is clear you know they'll come back and ask you the, the questions they need yeah pretty much it's it's like don't don't be scared to ask the question you know yeah I, I'm always asking people dumb questions <laughs> and you know I like can I ask a dumb question and yeah People invariably say there's no such thing as a dumb question. Yeah. But you know, this is this is what we do. It's it's the only way that you can um find out is by asking asking questions. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So yeah. And if if someone's not um making things clear, you keep asking, you yeah. know, because you need you need clarity and you need to understand. And it might be, um, I once had, uh, once worked in an office like years ago as a student and there was a, an architect that I worked with and he said he was on site once and he was RSJing about, you know, something. So an RSJ, RSJ stands for rolled steel joist. Yes. And he was on um, site once with, with a client and, and you know, with, we'll just put an RSJ here or we'll put an RSJ there and we'll do this, do that. And, you know, went through this entire meeting and there's a whole like site team there, blah, blah, blah. And then at the, at the end, like after the meeting, someone came up to me, what's, what's, what's an RSJ? <laughs> and so he kind of went, oh, okay. So yeah, it's, it's like, if, if you don't understand it, then go just, just ask. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world. And I suppose as well, if, as long as I think like, and I always have this attitude with everything. It's like, it makes you, the more information, you know, you might not need to use it every day, but it makes you a better designer. Um, That's and, you right. know, for the next project that it comes along, you'll have a little bit more information and a little bit more knowledge than you did the last time. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, 
it can be daunting, but if you can get kind of like, I suppose, over your own maybe ego or insecurities mm-hmm. about it, just mm-hmm. go for it kind of thing. Because, I mean, most people, I mean, there are some people that will that won't be great, but there are most people who, if who will love talking about the thing that they love doing every day. So you yeah. know, it's like most builders will talk your ear off if you want to talk mm-hmm. to them about something. So um, I found with a lot of consultants, it's the same. Um, so I mean, we've touched on a lot of this already, but I would love. I mean, you've got so many years of experience in the industry across many kind of different things. Like it's been very varied your career. Um, what advice would you give to young architects and designers starting out, especially if they might not be Ooh. clear about where do they want to go? Like, I mean, you've just like you've got a love of residential, but when you start mm-hmm. out, you kind of be like, oh, do I want residential? Do I want commercial? Do I want mm-hmm. large scale? Like, what would be your advice? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really big question. Um, it's like go 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 looking for things, go yeah. searching, you know, and even finding, um, finding, well, there's kind of two, two ways about, um, you know, finding work, finding an employer. It's whether you, you stay with one um, employer for a long time in a sort of master student kind of relationship or yeah. whatever and learn from them. Or it's, it's whether you move around to lots of different um, places to get experience in, in how they work. And different, different people take, um, take different paths. Yeah. And, yeah, I do like um, learning from other people. And, you know, even now, even when I've been um, had my own business for, you know, for a while, I still, you know, seek out gurus to go and have um conversations with them about the best ways to approach stuff or the best ways to to um deliver things that that sort of thing so it's it's always um being open and and looking for things and um finding people that work the way you would like to work mm. and and go and talk to them yeah you know? i think i think that's really kind of like um great advice because I think it's this it's not kind of just go oh well I want to work in residential it's like well what kind of residential do you want to work in and like um understanding and you know I always think I think it's the same for architecture and design like whatever kind of your education is your education kind of gets you to the front door and kind of just opens it kind of thing like Mm -hmm. it is it is really an industry where you need to be constantly learning because things are constantly changing and all of that kind of stuff. So um, I think having that attitude of I'm just going to keep learning and keep trying and keep testing and, you know, moving around, I think is really great advice because I think it can take a while for you to work out almost what you don't like doing, like what, mm-hmm. you know, and it, 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 you work it out pretty quickly, I think. Like you're kind of like, I just don't like working with that sort of client that comes with that sort of project. So mm-hmm. I'm going to move away from that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's really kind of, I think, great advice. Thank you. Um, so tell me, what are you looking forward to in the next for the next 12 months in your business? We're kind of out of COVID and starting to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Like what are you looking forward mm-hmm. to? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I've got a couple of um, projects that are underway at the moment and um, some that have been DA approved and they're going, um, one is uh, hopefully going to be starting construction in the next uh, month or two and another one um, probably early next year. And yes, I've got uh, another one that, yeah, may be happening in the, in the next couple of months. So there's all of those um because we know it, it takes so long <laughs> yes. to get things from when you know when people first contact you and they're so excited yeah to to by the time you actually get on site it's a really can be a really long time can be such a long time and i think sometimes um it's like it's managing it's one, it's, I mean, managing their expectations from the start, mm -hmm. but sometimes mm -hmm. you really have to be like the project's cheerleader because yeah. their initial excitement wanes and ebbs and, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I always give my clients a bit of a pep talk when we start construction, like there's phases of construction and you will love it and you'll hate it and you'll love it and you'll hate it and you'll be really over it and then you'll love it again kind of thing. Like it's yeah. a real journey that you get to go on. Um, and, but I do think, I mean, especially if it goes through council and all of that kind of stuff, like managing clients' expectations and managing their energy around that can be crucial to the success mm -hmm. of, of a job. <laughs> yeah, that is huge. Like even when I go to see people for my you know, one hour or two hour sessions and, you know, they'll start talking about what they want to have done by Christmas. And it's like, whoa. Actually, Christmas this year. You know, <laughs> what you what you've just described to me is like a two and a half year project, yeah. and they're like, "Really?" Yeah. I'm like, "Yes, really." Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of managing all of that, and also, um, you know, scary things like money and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's yeah. Often, it's it's a lot of. Um, Sometimes I, th I think I burst a lot of bubbles for people. <laughs> but I, th I think it's so much better to burst them at the start and then kind mm -hmm. of, I always like, it's like, you know, when a client comes in, they've got these grand plans and then you come along and you've kind of burst all the bubbles and you're like, nah. And then you kind of, that's, that's when you're able to take them on actually a really great journey because you can kind of go, mm -hmm. this is what we can deliver and it's even better than what you thought kind of thing. Um, yeah. I know I was kind of wrapping the interview up, but I've just thought of another question that I would love to get your opinion on or your take on at the moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're in amongst, you know, a really interesting time, you know, just this morning on the news, they were talking about, you know, the lack of home approvals in New South Wales compared to mm -hmm. the other Eastern seaboard states. Um, and we are, you know, we're really kind of hitting <clears throat> a bit of a, a housing shortage crisis here in New South Wales and, you know, across all mm -hmm. of Australia. And, of course, we've all heard of the, you know, the cost of building, you know, post-COVID and with inflation and all that kind of stuff. We're now kind of starting to come out of the other side of that COVID the impacts that COVID had mm -hmm. on the building industry. Um, mm -hmm. I know from you know, just speaking to a couple of builders that I work with around, you know, there is a little bit of um, like pressures come off. It's not as frenetic as I think it was. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. would, like, what's your kind of take at the moment, like read on the situation just from what you're seeing around 
the supply and demand issues, but also the cost of building? Like, do you think it's peaked? Do you think it's just going to stay where it is? Do you think, like, what are you kind of seeing? Oh, that's another really good question. Now, um, people have been talking for years, like forever, about the day that building costs come down. Mm. I'm yet to see that day. <laughs> I know. It's a little bit so, like once it's up, it's never coming down. Yeah, so whether things plateau a bit or, mm. you know, that sort of thing, don't know. Um but yeah, builders are starting to starting to call designers yeah. about projects and things. So that is a change. Yeah. Um, rather than designers frantically, you know, calling every builder they know and saying, "Well, no, I'm, you know, busy for the next eighteen months." You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Uh, also with the interest rate rises and things like that, I have noticed the impact of that on my business, like my level of inquiry. Yeah. Um, and because uh, people have to, you know, obviously pay their, their mortgages. So it's it's whether they can um, get their heads around um, the cost of a renovation in addition to that. Mm. So, but in real life, you know, families are still growing, things are still changing, energy, is not getting any cheaper and so um people are now is probably a really good time to start thinking about it because things do take so long to yeah. you know to get to site and you know whether there's an opportunity now to use that time to think about what you're really after and what you really need and you know getting some clarity around it so that in you know a year's time or two years time or something um maybe you're ready to hit the go button and maybe prepared for that so and yeah in terms of like building supplies have you seen like like I my take that from the projects I've seen is that the the issues are not as bad as they were like we're starting to kind of get back mm -hmm. to a bit of normality um how are you finding it yeah I don't have any jobs on site at the moment yeah like, all mine are in sort of approvals or so I can't really talk about um material costs right this minute but I have heard similar things um you know a couple of years ago timber was insane mm. um and a lot of uh timber does come from places like Russia and you know you yeah know, all the yeah issues around those sorts of places and, and supply chains and you know ships getting stuck in the Suez Canal and you know all sorts of weird yeah, things yeah. and I have had heard stories of um yeah just shipping costs yeah going through the roof um and when you're shipping things like tiles from Italy or things like that yeah tiles are a very heavy product so you know they the shipping costs of those end up um quite high and that can can add to to the cost of construction yeah so it's it's quite frustrating too um often there's there's fees and things that you don't necessarily see in the end product yeah but you know for example i saw an email yesterday about you know someone doing a project in 
you know, um, North Sydney area and them having to get a work zone for the, the work out the front, you know, to get trucks and things. And that work zone was like, was going to be about 14% of the cost of the project. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's, and you'll never see that at the end of the day. Like it, it was just the money that you paid to have a truck yep. deliver stuff. <laughs> so then it becomes, okay, well, how do we manage this work zone and do we need it for this long or do we coordinate when it is? And so we can reduce, you know, the, the number of truck movements and, and when, you know, and that when you're designing, you're not thinking about truck movements. No. <laughs> I can't say it's ever at the forefront of my brain. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, once you've got the builder involved and, and you know, they're, they're looking at how they manage the site and stuff and, okay, well, you know, maybe we need a truck for three days rather than five days. Yeah. So, you know, can we reduce it that way? So there's so many, so many factors that, that come into play with these things that, that need to be considered. And, yeah, it's it's a nice thing to spend money on a nice kitchen bench top or a nice light fitting or a nice tap or something like that often there's money that goes into things that, that you never see and um yeah it's, sometimes it can be tricky to manage those things as well definitely definitely oh gosh so much to think about like it really mm-hmm. um I mean I'm I'm not talking to anyone who doesn't know this but there are so many factors that you need to take into consideration that are mm-hmm. beyond the pretty things that you see at the end of the day kind mm-hmm. of thing which mm-hmm. can really you know change the bottom line of a budget of a project so um yeah awesome. um so how can our community find you and get in contact with you okay so my um business is called our new home coach and my website is ournewhomecoach.com.au um, and um you'll see my picture there <laughs> and um yeah what services i offer and that sort of thing i'm also on um, Instagram, but I haven't posted there for a little while. I've been been quiet there for a while, um, and I'm also in the like designer therapy Facebook group and and things like that. And I do have um, an our new home coach Facebook page as well. So yeah, you can find me around and about the place. And we will link yeah. to all of those in the show notes for everyone. Um, thank you great. so much, Jennifer, for coming on. It has been such a great discussion and dialogue I've really learned so much um, as I was fully expecting to from this so thank you so much thanks so much Beth I hope you enjoyed that episode of the design dialogues with Jennifer Crawford it really was full of so much helpful information when it comes to working alongside an architect or bringing an architect into your projects I know that sometimes, especially for maybe designers that are newer to the industry or haven't had the experience of working with an architect, it can be quite daunting, but finding an architect or two that you can build a working relationship with is such a great thing for your studio. It can increase your workflow. It can make your work process is so much easier because you know you have someone to ask if you've got just a quick question. I really loved how Jennifer spoke about the the good way of working with an architect when it comes to an interior designer bringing the architect into the project and of course 
like so many of the discussions we've had, it comes down to the communication and being clear around what the communication is, where the boundary is between what the architect is doing and what the interior designer is doing. And I also think that her mention of kind of ego being checked at the door is so important and it is definitely a red flag that maybe the architect is not quite the right person to work with if you feel their ego is getting in the way of the project running smoothly. I also really loved how Jennifer spoke about the cost of building not really coming down. I think that's generally a held a held belief throughout the industry. But I really loved how she spoke to the positive aspect of the economic downturn at the moment. Sometimes clients just put the brakes on when they feel money's getting tight and the budget might not be there. However, really helping to educate the client how long the process will take, especially if you are going to counsel, and that now is a great time to be doing that foundational work on the project and being in a position that when economic times might change and become more positive, that they are ready to go and that they have done all of the the preparation work to getting to site and actually starting building. And I just think that is such a, a great tool that we have when we are talking to clients who might be a little bit hesitant about starting because they are unsure around the budget and what they are going to be able to afford. But by talking them through the timeline and how long the process will take, but also asking them to reflect on what are their true needs of the house. Do they need an extra living room? Do they need a separate study and a separate guest bedroom? Or can the two be one room that function uh, each way when needed? I think this is a really important conversations we, we should be having with our clients at the moment, especially considering the economic uh, environment we find ourselves in. So I hope you enjoyed this design dialogue with Jennifer Crawford and I do encourage you to reach out to Jennifer if you have any questions or if you are looking for an architect to just do some small bits of work on your interior design projects where the, the scope maybe has gone beyond what you are comfortable doing. So I hope you have a great week and I will see you next time for our next design dialogue. Thank you for listening to this design dialogue. I hope you have found it full of inspiration and helpful information to take into your design studio. If you like the podcast and want to hear more, consider sharing it or writing a review as it helps us reach more people and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to unlock the power of effortless studio management and elevate your design business to new heights, please follow the links in our show notes to see how more time to design can help you build a better business. Have a great week and I will see you for our next design dialogue.